Hey. All right. So I just finished uh, an interview with J.R. Nyquist, a strategic analyst, author, uh, multiple books, who's been studying Russia and China and communism um, for over 35 years. I reached out to him and I said, hey, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Um, and we talked for about an hour. It is an extremely good conversation. Um, I'm going to put up his blog here and you can check him out at jrnyquist.com. Um, it will be tagged in the comments and pinned uh, his his website and his blog. But it, it, it's first, I hope of many uh, times I'm going to have him on the show. But it's it's something you're definitely going to want to listen to. Um, there's some information here that's been that he has been looking into that hasn't been released anyplace else, and it's about some of the the meeting that was just released um, in regards to China and their preparations for for war and everything else. And he, I really enjoyed speaking with him. So, like I said, check out the interview. Um, sit back and just kind of you know take it in and and. Um, Let's go from there. Check it out. With a piece in my hand and bloodshot eyes, I walk to the water for a last goodbye. He begged so much, it clouded my mind. One thing's clear, the man's gotta die. This is Motion, and you're listening to Sage on Sage News Live. All right, um... We're here at Sage News and Sage, and basically, I am with somebody that I was extremely excited to talk to after I watched some of his videos. Uh, we're basically here with Jeff Nyquist, and he is a strategic analyst and an author. And you've written quite a few books, actually, and you've been studying both kind of Russia and China and communism for for about thirty years, correct? Yeah, even more than yeah, more more than thirty five years. Wow. And and this is somebody that I felt I really needed to get on and we really needed to ask some questions and just hear what he has to say, because you've got a lot of information, a lot of knowledge. So if you just want to go to, you know, give a quick background to, you know, what you, you know, who you are and what you've done, that would be great. Well, I, I, I first ran into communists, real ones when I was an undergraduate at uh, UC Irvine. I, uh, I was ended up in a graduate program there in political science. Um, I got out of that. I started working on a book because 35 years ago, I had done a survey of the uh, defector literature, which I don't think people really bother to read. And I was amazed there was in the defector literature in 1987 testimony about the, the communist bloc faking the collapse of their own alliance of the Warsaw Pact. Uh, the defector Jan Shana, the highest level defector from communist Czechoslovakia, wrote about it in his book, his 1982 book, We Will Bury You. Uh, Anatoly Galitsyn wrote an extensive book. He was a KGB defector called New Lies for Old. He predicted the fall of the Soviet Union. He predicted uh, the, that the Communist Party would appear to give up its power, but it would not really do so. Um, uh, when I, I had read Galitsyn's book in 84 when it first came out, and I was thought it's full of very interesting uh, strategic ideas, but I didn't believe that the Soviet Union could carry out any such plan. It was my ignorance of Soviet institutions and how they work that led me to make that evaluation. Later, when I found two other defectors knew about the plan, and since then, I, you know, people from the communist world at different levels knew this plan was coming. And I, I can't tell you how many I've met that knew about it. Others, even uh, high-level defectors, didn't know about it. But when they started, I got them to read this literature, they'd say, oh, my gosh, yeah, this is what they're doing. Hmm. Um, so it, it – uh, but uh, to, to clarify, the, it was a very dangerous maneuver to liberalize the Soviet system and to have a controlled collapse of communism to fool us strategically and to have a secret alliance with China all the while. That hurt them. That hurt the former Soviet Union. They did suffer real losses doing it, but they've recovered. They've got their strategic alliance with China. China, the China deception has been much more successful. Uh, we built China. We moved a lot of our industrial base to China. China has the biggest army, air force, and navy in the world. And China has, we don't really know how big their strategic rocket forces are. Um, and now we're, we're in real trouble because we've got China and Russia united openly coming out against us as they did in February when Putin went to Beijing on February 4th 
saying that they are the most powerful uh, strategic combination, more powerful than anything during the Cold War, and that they're going to dictate to the rest of the world. This is the period that, by the way, that Galitzin predicted in his 1984 book of One Clenched Fist, after the false liberalization has deceived the West and that we haven't renewed our strategic forces, which we did not. We're using old Minuteman 3s. We haven't built a new nuclear warhead since since the early 90s. We haven't even tested a nuclear weapon since then. We don't even know what the quality of our nuclear warheads are. We're in trouble. We're in right. serious trouble. And I, I noticed, and, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, I noticed almost a change when they when they met in Alaska. I believe it was May 2021 when, when the U.S., the two um, secretaries of state technically uh, met in Alaska. The, their, man, their, their demeanor was different. They were definitely more feeling that they could start to step up. And and I think that was almost when I started to notice they they definitely knew something, right? And and that 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 this was coming, you would think, correct? They were starting to say, look, we're the you know, you were the dominant partner, now we are. You know, now we we did we went along with what you wanted, now you're going to have to go along with what we want. So and then we had of course uh what's going on with Ukraine. And I get a lot of um of what happened there and why they're there. And, and even some of the stuffs, of course, um, Putin came out and mentioned like the Nazis and things like that, that they were trying to get rid of. But it, I get a lot of times it's like, why do we help? Why are we there? What's actually going on there? And, and, and what do you kind of, what's your interpretation as an analysis in that? Well, you know, people believe the Russian propaganda because they're alienated from their own country because we have so many Marxists in Washington and whatever state, you know, I left California, that, that government in California is Marxist uh, and it's in bed with China. Uh, look, um, people get frustrated with their own country, so they decide that Putin's going to be their savior. Right. Yes, Putin is a Christian and a Russian nationalist, which he is not. He is neither of those things. I don't believe he is. Um, look, um, you can you can destroy anyone who believes the Russian narrative very easily. You hear all these people. They talk about the Nazis who won, run Ukraine. And then they talk about the awful, evil Ukrainian oligarchs, the Jewish oligarchs. Right. And of course, the Jewish the, the Jewish president uh, uh, there. Um, Zelensky. So now, wait a minute. How can Ukraine both be. A, you know, run by Nazis and run by the Jewish, a Jewish conspiracy, right? right? I mean, wait a minute. Um, let's get our conspiracy theory straight here. You're either saying they're Nazis or they're Jews. They can't be both Nazi Jews, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, <laughs> this is like, but I, you know, when I was on a talk radio show and I said, look, this is completely irrational. These people have to put their thinking cap on. And the next caller came on with a rant attacking me because I didn't realize that, that the Nazi state of, of Ukraine was run by Jewish oligarchs. Oh. <laughs> it's like, well, what did I just say? It's like, can people even think? Yeah. It's, it's, it's gotten to the point where there's a, um, there's a lot going on and I understand it's a lot of it can be confusing, but it's, it's like, I even get to the point that, you know, China's our friend and they're working with us and all this other stuff. And I don't think people understand that the, although China and Russia have an alliance now, even they want to kind of, will eventually compete to, with each other. It's not true friendship there. It's, you know, the enemy of my enemy type situation, but it's, we're still what they want. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the capitalism well, stuff is still. If you have the number one country in the world mm -hmm. and number two and number three want to go up to being number one and number two, they have to bump off number one if they're going to go up. Right. Right. And it's just basic common sense. They have an extra problem because our system is predicated on freedom and liberty. We have much more effective economics and technology than they do. It's just we're not all focused on war. We're focused on, you know, making things that make life better for people. We're we're a much more humane society. Whatever our faults, there's no utopia here. We're not arguing about utopia. Um, and of course, they're they're dictatorships, and there's a basic incompatibility between their values. Well, let's face it; it's just they don't they don't care about people. Look at what look at how Putin throws away Russian soldiers, the lives of his soldiers. You think he really cares about Russia or Russians? No, he doesn't. He's a gangster. Russia is ruled by a, a bunch of gangsters. 
And, you know, there's nice people there. Don't get me wrong. Um, and there's, there's a lot of beautiful Russian people. And a lot of even some of the Russian oligarchs are nice people. Some of the people in business are nice people. They are not the government in Russia. The government is the, the security services, you know, the KGB, what used to be called the KGB and the, and the general staff of the army. These are not nice people. I mean, as uh, the defector Colonel Stanislav Lunov once told me, I said, well, what are these people like, your bosses? He said they were not normal. They were not human beings. They were crazy persons. He said they were psychopaths, basically. That'd be, you get above a certain rank in that system, whether it's the Soviet system or the Russian Federation, they're psychopaths. It's, it's a, they have a criminal psychology. Yeah. And that's what people and the same thing in the CCP in China. It's a it's they they do forced organ donations in China and they even sell these organs abroad. Right. So they're killing people to take their kidneys and their hearts and their whatever other liver, whatever organ they want to take. And they're just they're murdering people. And they, of course, who are they going to murder? Well, it's people that they think are maybe not loyal to the CCP, like you know, members of Falun Gong or Christians or political dissidents. Um, now, what does an average American think? It's like, I think some Americans think, oh, no, they don't do that. That's too evil. You know, you're just, no, they do that. It's a fact. They right. Do and, and this is what I, I think it's a, because there's even, and, and we, we talked about a little bit, um, I know you talked about a little bit on another show, is, is the fact that they just recently, well, it was um, it was released. It was uh, a meeting that was um, released, not by them, <laughs> that basically talked about the fact that they are are they're preparing for conflict. And you've talked about this, you know, on some other shows that you've been on that. Right. They're not. It, it, it's an overwhelming force for a small island if it ends, if it's Taiwan. Right. If right. It's Taiwan, right. Yeah. It's kind of overwhelming. And if you yeah. go into that a little bit. Well, um. About two weeks ago, Dr. Lee Meng Yan uh, was introduced to me by a friend who's a former CIA official, and uh, she briefed me on this recording. They'd gotten it out. Uh, Mr. Luda, Luda of the Luda Group, uh, media group, um, he has an extensive network of contacts. He knew that they were doing this. They were preparing for war in China. They're doing a transition from normal to war. And there's all these meetings at the provincial level they're, they're They call it military civil fusion, where they make the top military officials of a province and the top provincial officials like the governor, like this particular meeting, 56, 57 minute um, recording, audio recording of the meeting was the Guangdong provincial governor and other top officials in the province and the military district commander and his generals. They were together. And it was 200 and some odd things that they had to do to get ready to move their province from normal to war, right? Because China was going to war. They were calling it the final war. And they were talking about the strategic targets in the province. And they were talking, you know, like the four nuclear power plants and the city and the, the, the theater military command as targets as in terms of an American counterattack against those targets, and they used code words. And I talked to, to Mr. Luda last night. And he said the code words doesn't come through in the tr in the translation. If you've seen Jennifer Zeng's translation, there's other ones that uh, the Luda group are have made that explain the meaning of the words. There are terms there. Strategic victory, strategic, decisive, strategic. There, these are in. If you take the actual Chinese words, they're referring to the DF-41 strategic missiles using them so they're talking they're not talking about a conventional war china can't win a conventional war against the united states and i don't think they can win a conventional invasion of taiwan it would be like operation olympic you know when we were planning to invade japan at the end of world war ii and instead drop nuclear weapons on them so we didn't have to invade right or at least that's the story that we gave yeah. out we were preparing this operation olympic it would have been the biggest amphibious invasion to invade japan to invade the home islands a horrific we you know people military experts today say well we probably would have lost a million men trying that right yeah. and up to that point in world war ii we we hadn't even lost a half a million men fighting the germans and the japanese all that time so this is the kind of invade. I mean, uh, Taiwan is an island with 1.6 million military reservists. Wow. 
Okay. The island is better defended. They have better military technology than Ukraine. And they're an island, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. they have more troops that they can mobilize in Ukraine and better weapons in Ukraine. So China that has military doctrines and equipment, not that different from Russia's, are going to succeed in an opposed landing? Yeah. Right? That's, that's... Without using nuclear weapons, right? I mean, my... I don't know what they're going to do, but if I'm them, I'm not invading that island. I'm bearing it. I am I'm surrounding it. I am cutting it off because Taiwan can't feed itself. They don't grow enough food to feed their population. So they have to surrender. If you control the ocean and the air around it, they have to give up. Mm -hmm. So right. why are you going to send a million, have a million man amphibious invasion plus of an island when you can just cut it off and do it the easy way. See, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. So what, what, what they're doing, and this is what Mr. Luda told me last night, is they're amphibious, they're gathering ships, more than a thousand ships. And hmm. Guangdong alone, 953 ships. They're going to invade the first and second island chains. So they're going down this, the Solomons and, and things like that. They're going all over the Pacific. And, um, you know, my, my fear is that they'll try to try to take the U.S. West Coast, not right off the bat. They have to take places in between before they get there. But right. if they're going to nuke, and the reason I say that, if they're going to bomb the United States, which is part of the plan, they, they use a nuclear Pearl Harbor to destroy our Navy, destroy our nuclear deterrent as much as they can. They receive the counterattack in China, but their armies are going out. In, in, in differently flagged merchant vessels uh, to go into different ports and to grab islands and basing and to forward deploy things and to bring their military. The reason I say their ultimate objective is America is the defense minister of China, Xi, uh, General Chi Hao Chen, gave a speech 20 years ago. Right. And about how they would use biological weapons on the United States and try to damage the United States before a coming war. And he said, it's them or us. We have to take America because we have to make a second China in America. We have to exterminate the population of, of America and move hundreds of millions of Chinese into that area and create a second China because they need the land to survive. They need the food. They can't feed themselves in China. Right. That's their no. vulnerability is strategic. And if they ever go into starvation, the Chinese people will overthrow the CCP, said we'll be hanged as criminals. So we have to teach the Chinese people to go out. Well, at the end of his speech, where he said these things, Chiao Chen said, we will make our military preparation look like it's aiming at Taiwan, but mm. it will be aimed mm. at the United States. And he said, he said, and we're not talking about just attacking aircraft carriers and satellites, he said. Mm. And then Colonel Stanislav Lunev, 20-something years ago, told me about this, that the last time he was in Moscow after the fall of the Soviet Union, there was a meeting of the generals, and they said, we have all these agreements with China, you know, intelligence sharing and whatever. But the big agreement is there's going to be a war with America. We're going to take Alaska and parts of Canada. China is going to get the lower 48 states with other countries invited in for looting rights. And this is the, the secret, really, treaty, the secret agreement that Russia and China have had for 30 years. Yeah. And and this goes on a lot of the stuff and, and backed up by a lot of the stuff that they're doing. They just up to a three child um, thing instead of being a two child. They're now, you know, they're, they're, different aspects into how the military is being done um, economically. They're doing, um, you know, rest unrestricted warfare, which their generals wrote about two generals wrote about in regards two, two to colonels, actually two colonels, two colonels. I'm sorry. Two colonels wrote about that. They, um, and even the part that I see a lot in logistics in which I'm in is the bullwhip effect. They're constantly turning off, turning it on, turning it off, turning it on, which affects our inflation, which affects our dollar. And right. in fact, our stuff so it's that logistically i see a lot of and of course we all know that they're they're hacking us with security and and you know cyber that's just something that you know that's being done but it, and you mentioned the west coast and you brought up a good topic which i i did want to make sure i got on my show is that a lot of people here say well you know now they're going for for guns and things like that and one of the reasons they didn't attack us is because of course the famous saying there'll be a gun you know behind every blade of grass right and you brought up a, t a good point, which I'd like to get, also talk about, is the World War II aspect from the Moser 
you know, Mauser. And, Mauser and stuff. Right. The first part of World War II, the number one killing machine was the German Mauser, the first half of the war. The second half of the war, the number one killer was Allied air power, killed the most Axis soldiers. Um, uh, it, it's, it, you know, between the Allies and the Germans, I'm talking about. Right. Uh, the rifle is, it, is an effective weapon if your fighting is mostly infantry fighting. But there's howitzers, there's, uh, that's another level, there's tanks, there's aircraft, and then there's nuclear and biological weapons. And yes, the, the rifles are important. Even a Russian general in 1999, when Putin was prime minister, he brought a bunch of Russian generals. He had this big conference about it. And what was really weird about it, the weirdest thing about it is one of the Russian generals complained that America needed gun control. <laughs> <laughs> now, why would a Russian general be concerned? Of course, they're going to invade Alaska. They don't want the Alaskans to have their rifles. Good luck with that. Because they know that, you know, the leading edge of an invasion of Alaska would be light troops, paratroopers and Marines. They're not going to have a lot of the howitzers. Their air power is not going to be effective immediately. Those troops are going to be extremely vulnerable to the Americans behind every blade of grass with a rifle. Mm -hmm. And uh, Colonel Lunov talked to me about this. And I said, you know, with everything destroyed, no heavy weapons, they think they're going to suffer heavy casualties. Yes, they will suffer heavy casualties. But let me let me give you um, another sort of historical example. Mm -hmm. That resistance is important. And I believe Americans should fight to the last man. I don't believe in surrender. Right. Um, so it, it is important that we have the rifles. But let's be realistic. At the you know, Germany lost millions of men during World War Two. When Germany at the end from the last four months of the war were in 1945. And that was when they had lost a lot of their equipment. They didn't have the Romanian oil. The Luftwaffe was basically shot down. So they didn't really have air protection. It was that last four months. Did you know that half of all their casualties in World War II, German casualties took pl place in that last four months? No, I didn't know that. And so, so you see that, uh, when you don't have your heavy weapons, when you don't have those things, your army ready, you can still fight. The Germans fought after the Battle of the Bulge, but they had, you know, the two Panzer armies had been thrown against the Americans and they caused these massive loss of American life. But then they were spent. They didn't have the, you know, they were fighting in their cities. And it was, you know, it was 16 year old boys, 14 year old boys, Hitler youth. You know, um, it was uh, old men. You know, they called it the Volkssturm, right? The Volkssturm were the people's, the people's, you know, army. And the, the joke in Germany was some people were at a graveyard digging some graves, graves and somebody shouts, what are you doing? You're burying some people? And they go, no, we're looking for some more bodies for the Volkssturm. You know, mm. they're yeah. digging up bodies for the Volkssturm. So it, it's and of course, it was uh, it was brutal. It was awful, you know, just absolutely awful. And, you know, I and I think Mr. Luda really wants to warn these Chinese are sacrificing their lives because the people, by the way, I need to tell you, the people who who got this audio recording of this uh, standing party meeting, th this uh, joint civil military meeting in Guangdong about preparing for war, for mobilization, those people are dead. Wow. They they went to everybody at a certain level in this meeting that was present that could have recorded it. They tortured and killed all of them. And they, even if they were innocent, they killed them anyway because they tortured them. Right. Who's going to be loyalty after you've tortured them and accused right. them? Right. So so um, I think um, what you've got is you've got a, a, and there's more. There's a lot of good Chinese who know the party Communist Party is evil. They know what they're preparing is wrong and will bring disaster to China as well as the United States. They know that these are psychopaths that are ruling them. And they want to warn us, hoping that if we take the warning, that this will cause them to cancel their plans. Right. And so and and also what Luda told me is they want to create a civil war here where the Democrats and Republicans go to war. They want to they have agents everywhere through our system causing problems, causing this right left conflict we need to be united if we're going to suffer an attack like this we need to be one people and we need to be oriented towards our real enemies yeah and that's in the that's and that's a good point you brought up too because this is some of um you know uh, I mean, mao and the chinese philosophy was to do a lot of this when they did the land reform right to, to separate the people and cause animosity and cause this so it's something they know divide uh, and conquer it's called correct. divide and conquer divide and conquer and and this is where 
Also, some of the lockdown situation that's going on, like you know, you've been, I believe you mentioned before, is Mao has no pro- Mao had no problem. Not that he's not here now, but he had no problem getting rid of the weak and stuff like that to make you know be stronger when it came to doing the revolution yeah. stuff like this. Yeah, he killed Mao killed in the if you look at the old Guinea's Book of World Records, there's three top mass murderers. And Mao Zedong is the number one mass murderer in all of history, followed by Stalin, Hitler's a distant third behind those two characters. Yeah, do you think that I mean is she and I I understand he is because his dad was is was actually, you know, not a friend of the thing was in prison. I think he realized that, you know, you can go this way, you can go this way. I'd rather be this way. But does you feel she thinks he can win this in, in the end? Do you think that it's him that that's making these decisions? Well, these decisions were made generationally. Look, China and Russia committed to a long-range policy in 1960. Okay. And Galitzin wrote about this. And he said the Sino-Soviet split was a fraud. It was a fake. They agreed to it in advance. Galitzin was present at a lecture given by uh, KGB General Alexander Shalepin uh, in 1959, the year before the Sino-Soviet split occurred. And Shalepin's lecture was about how the Tito-Stalin split. Tito was a communist dictator of Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. And Stalin tried to assassinate him because Stalin didn't like what he was doing. And so Tito just sent a, a guy there. This is a might be apocryphal story, but it's a story that's told. Oh, he got a guy close to him and handed Stalin a note, bang, you're dead, you know. Um, basically, leave Tito alone. We'll leave you alone. You know, it's a two-way street trying to kill people. Uh, this, uh, this, this, uh, uh, Shalepin was saying what was amazing about the split between Tito and Stalin was that as soon as Tito split, he, Tito was a communist, he was a Marxist Leninist. As soon as he split from Stalin, the West came in and gave him money, supported him, and gave him weapons and mm-hmm. helped to build him up. And they said, what we need to do is we need to organize a fake split because the West is so stupid, they'll come in and they'll build up the country that we split with. <laughs> and one of the people in the recording, according to Edward J. Epstein, one of the people that raised their hand, Comrade General Shalupin, you know, what country would we do this fake split with? And he said China. And this was 1959. Wow. So this is what sort of inspired Galitzin to write his book. Galitzin defected in December of 61, and he had been part of, they reorganized the KGB in the late 50s to carry out this long-range deception strategy that was a Sino-Soviet split, and a fake liberalization of the Soviet Union under what would be Gorbachev in the future. Andropov was supposed to begin it, but Ad- Andropov died of kidney failure, and they had to set it back a little. Wow. Well, let me ask this then. So so even let I know they're coming up, and, and he um, she's going to be going for his third term, right? And even if he doesn't get that, let's just say, does the plan change? No, I don't think it doesn't depend on Putin or, or Xi. They have um, collective leadership. There was a very funny uh, on Schuster Live on Ukrainian TV uh, about a decade ago, a little more. Um, I think it was December of 2011. It was when Putin had announced that he was going to run for president. He was, he, remember, he did his two terms as president, then he was prime minister, and they, they enabled him to come back again right. for two more terms. Uh, so Putin... He, they asked him what he thought about Putin becoming president. They asked uh, um, uh, Leonid Kravchuk, the uh, the first president of of uh, Ukraine, free Ukraine. He was also the president of Soviet Ukraine. He was a high level party communist party guy. Okay. And they asked him about that. He said, "Oh, Putin and Medvedev are front men. The real rulers of Russia, you don't know their names. Mm. They're it's all it's secret. It's behind the scenes how Russia is really governed." And he said, but, you know, they're important, but they're not the top tier leaders, the real top tier leaders. And uh, by the way, the the Ukrainian foreign minister was on the program. And when Schuster went to him, he didn't deny it. He just said, well, you know, they're the president and the prime minister and we have to deal with, you know, them because they're in those offices. He didn't wow. deny. He didn't wow. he didn't contradict him. He didn't step right? up. No, no, no. He didn't say, well, I'm the. that's ridiculous, you know. Wow. That's ridiculous. That's a conspiracy theory. He just kind of let it roll quietly, yeah. hoping it slipped away. Right. Right. <laughs> no, and, and I I think that there's a there's a lot of um let me kind of 
there's a there's there's a lot of evidence of this. It's very hard with everything that they're doing and the moves that they're making. But here, I think we're only realizing it with the amount of inflation we get. Right now, I'm paying more gas, so there must be a problem. But it's a bigger problem than just gas and and diesel fuel and and that stuff. It is it is legitimately a you know unrestricted warfare. Use as many means as possible to be able to do this. But the issue is I don't see it stopping. And I don't see, let's just say, I don't see the administration that we have. I, I don't know if they're just not the brightest bulbs in the bunch <laughs> or if they're a part of it. Uh, where do you kind of look? What, what's your uh, intake on that? Well, look at all the people that are disoriented. Right. I mean, first of all, we have a culture that's addicted to television and entertainment. People don't spend their time educating themselves or reading. They spend their time entertaining. They they play video games. They they watch movies on Netflix. They they have a life, so to speak. But they don't see it used to be. Remember, I knew this guy when I was a kid. He was he had been an acrobat in the circus and he he was in his 80s. He was very uh, youthful for his age. And this was in 19, later 1970s. Um, and uh, I worked at the same places he did. And um, he was born around, he was born before the turn of the century. And he said, you know what's wrong? He, he saw me reading because I was, uh, as a kid, when I was in college, I, I was a security guard at a defense facility, a, def- a defense contractor uh, when I was in college. And I would, I would, I had to check people in and out when they come on the, I did do the weekend night shift, you know, and nobody right. was around and, um, and he'd see me reading and he says, you know, you're really different. You, you read, you know, when my generation, we all read, right. we all read all the time and we could converse about what we read. He mm-hmm. said, people can, young people can't do that anymore. I don't know what's going to happen to this country. You know, he's somebody born in the 1890s and that always stuck with me, but, but people don't. And that includes our leaders, by the way, because I've talked to people close to the highest tier, you know, and, and um, in, in our defense and intelligence uh, communities. And I've been told, you know, most of our generals could not have a conversation with you. You know, they're not very well read. They don't understand these complicated, more complicated issues. I was kind of amazed to be told something like this, but it, it really makes sense when you see, you look at what is the intellectual sophistication of Joe Biden? Wow. We don't, you know. <laughs> and, when, and look, I went to graduate school. Most of the people in graduate school with me were Marxists of some flavor or another. Mm-hmm. Right. So what was, what is the intellectual sophistication of somebody who's following basically a discredited 19th century ideology that pretends to be a scientific theory, right? That wants to have a world revolution. I mean, how sophisticated are they? And I would sit in meetings with these people and they would say, oh yeah, Vietnam fell because the peasants rose up and it was, you know, it was a, it was a peasant, it was a rising of the people. And I said, no, it wasn't the army of the North Vietnam came in with tanks and self-propelled guns in the U.S. Congress. They'd cut off the army of the Republic of Vietnam. They ran out of bullets and they had no fuel and they couldn't fight. Yeah. They were in that position of now we're going to die because we can't make our heavy weapons work anymore. So they just, they, they just collapsed. The army collapsed. And I said, it wasn't a re- rebellion. And they said, Oh, you believe that, that um, uh, Pentagon propaganda. I said, no, I've, you know, I like military history, so I read military histories. Mm-hmm. I can tell you about the battles, the Easter Offensive, the Tet Offensive. The, the North Vietnamese Army came in, and the Viet Cong were armed. But after the Tet Offensive, the Viet Cong never recovered to the number of combat units that they had. They were never the same again after the Tet Offensive. It's like, don't you know, it wasn't people didn't rise up. Right. So, in fact, a lot of people had left north vietnam to come to the south because they were fleeing the tyranny of the north you know large numbers of of vietnamese fled the north because they didn't want to live under communism right you know they were voting with their feet if the vietnamese people had a choice right now they'd vote that regime out if they had a choice Hmm. nobody wants to live under that right and and i don't think i think this is another thing too because even with and and because this is another thing that maybe you can 
for me. It's like I see the Belt Road Initiative and I see the slow roll of China and stuff. And and all I can think of is that they saw what happened to Japan when Japan started to say, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to occupy you. We're going to occupy you. We're going to occupy you. You know, uh, the, the taking of Nanking and things like that. And they realized that if we go in heavy handed, we don't have a chance. Right. So we, we, we got to take this nice, slow roll and try to take over everything and, and strategically taking over ports and the importance of ports and, you know, uh, the Solomon Islands and, and for resupply and stuff. And to me, I just look at this and it's like I, I can start to see, you know, the, what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I get fr- I get frustrated because it's like, what what are you guys thinking? Like, what's going on here that you don't see that they learn from Japan's mistakes? They learn from Russia's mistakes and they learn and, and from Nazi Germany's mistakes. Uh, yeah, right. And from Nazis, Germany's mistakes. And they learned that it, we're just going to slow roll and take you over, you know, financially uh, propaganda. The amount of propaganda is just yes. mastery of it. <laughs> if they can get Americans who don't read to believe just one, you know, they, they put out a hundred different propaganda messages. If they can get them to just believe one of those propaganda messages, they can completely disorient Americans. And they have succeeded in doing that. You're well informed. So you see how they're taking over ports around the world. They got the ports of entry on either side of the Panama Canal that they operate. As is one example, they got the giant container port in the Bahamas. They, they run ports in the United mm-hmm. States. Yes. And in South America and Peru, they're building a gigantic port facility, which some of the Peruvians are going, this is really creepy. What are they going to look at? I, I, I worked with a guy from Cameroon and he once told me he was disturbed a friend in a neighboring country. He's a, he was a, a sub-Saharan African guy, uh, <clears throat> very well educated. And he said his friend had told him that there were 200,000 Chinese troops in the neighboring country. I don't remember which country it was that he said that they were in. He said the Chinese, they come in as workers. They build roads and hospitals and power plants and airfields. And then they kind of, the workers are reservists in the People's Liberation Army. And suddenly their uniforms are on. And suddenly the government, you know, they're colonizing Africa. And Mm. nobody's reporting on it. China is literally taking over all over. They're all over Latin America. They're all over Africa. And they're all, they're in Mexico, they're in Canada, you know, yeah. and they're in the Solomon Islands. They're all over these different Pacific Islands, and their aims are bigger than just Taiwan. Yes, yeah, and and, and I see this too, and some of the stuff too is it intellectual property right so i had I, I think it was nixon that came in and signed the intellectual property uh, agreement that they had and then rex tillerson re-signed it re-upped it a couple days later he was gone right yeah, yeah. and it was like we they are are using our own information our own knowledge our own technology our own uh intellectual property taking it and re-engineering it reverse engineering it to the point that they figure it out and we do nothing and and I, not, not nothing but we do very little <laughs> well we have a leadership culture of arrogance without knowledge and that's a leadership problem. Real leader, what um, I, I, Thomas Carlyle wrote this book, Heroes and Hero Worship, a long time ago. It was based on lectures that he gave. This is in the 19th century. He was a great literary figure in, in uh, Great Britain in the 19th century. And he said, look, <clears throat> what, is a, what is a great leader or a heroic leader? He's somebody who actually sees what is really going on. And he's actually willing to stand up and say or do something. And normally, by the way, in history, people who see what's going on and uh, wait a minute, they usually get destroyed, personally destroyed, because Mm. there's a reason for the cultural blindness of any given. People don't see something for a reason that there's a they, they don't want to acknowledge it because it 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 hurts their interests in some way to acknowledge it or they're intimidated by the groupthink of the time. And he said that, but providence, that is God, uh, mm-hmm. somehow sees sometimes one of these people and actually then uses that person to make the world better or to change the world in some way. And he goes through the different characters in history in the in the book, and he, he, ex- he examines how improbable their lives are, you know, like, he talks about Cromwell and Napoleon, for example. Um, 
<clears throat> and I think it's very interesting. We don't, why don't we have any great leaders? When have we had a great leader? But do our leaders tell the truth? You know, one of the things people liked about Trump, however rough and, and mm -hmm. irritating he was to a lot of people, he actually said things that were true that every, oh, no, you can't say that. Right. You know, that was kind of shocking to people. So this is the closest we're going to get to somebody who's actually willing to be like, you know, in the Hans Christian Andersen story of the emperor's new clothes. Wait a minute. The, the emperor's naked. Right. Those new clothes are a fraud. You know, it was a little boy that stood up and said, hey, he's naked. We are, we are literally in the emperor's new clothes. And our leaders just talk nonsense. Uh, Secretary Blinken talks nonsense. President yeah. Biden talks nonsense. You know, uh, you know, most of our leaders and presidents of both parties have been talking nonsense for the last 30 years. It, it, do you think it's nonsense or, or, or almost complete ignorance? Do you think they just I mean, not, I mean, are they doing it? On purpose, or you think you, you believe that they truly just don't know that they there's a truly a lack of, of of knowledge or concern? Well, I'm not psychic, so I can't see what it is inside their head, right? I can only judge from the outside from what I'm seeing. Look, some of these people have been bought off. You you know about the Hunter Biden laptop. We know yeah. about them taking money, that Biden family taking money from the Chinese. We know the guy's corrupt. You know, mm -hmm. the reputation of the guy in Delaware, we know he's corrupt. You've got a lot of uh, corporations, a lot of capitalists have invested in China. Imagine the investment in China. Imagine the money, their money at stake. They're going to put pressure on politicians, aren't they? Right. So the, many of our politicians may know what the truth is, but they'll be destroyed if they tell the truth. See, there it is. It's this fact that heroic leadership is a guy who, you know, my platoon sergeant, when I went through boot camp, he said, and it was platoon leaders class. He said, we, we don't want commanders. We want leaders. And a leader is the person that stands up and takes the first bullet. Right. That's a def that was my platoon sergeant, Staff Sergeant Garza. That was his, his definition of a leader, right? Mm. The guy who stands up to take the first bullet. They're not willing to take the first bullet. Mm. So, see, this is, this is the problem that we have is people say, well, you're a fool if you stand up and say that. Well, in some sense, we have to not care about our own individual. This this, uh, this Mr. Luda and, and Dr. Lee Mengyan, after they released this, MS-13 showed up and started taking pictures of Lee Mengyan's house. Mm. They, they, they got the license plate. I've seen the video. And the FBI said, yeah, that's that car belongs to an MS-13 gang member. Right? So they want to kill... And the MS-13, it's a communist El Salvadoran, one of the worst, most murderous criminal gangs in, in, in the right. Western Hemisphere. So the Chinese aren't going to directly kill them. They're going to they're going to contract it out to one of their criminal organizations allied to them. So they they Mr. Luda told me last night he had he had what was it, 19, 20 people broke into his house. They were looking to kill him and his whole family. Yeah, and, and this is this is how it works, communism. Right. Because this is I mean, there, there's welcome to communism. You, you're outspoken and you, you have to be stopped. And you also you talked a little bit about and I won't I know you have to go a little bit, but I do want to talk real quick about um, China's financial system is is a, a teetering right now. Right. It, it can't. Yes. And once that it, it, it once that goes, they're going to have to go some way. They're going to yeah, you have to you know take that collab or or, or, or go offensive with it. Right. Well, the thing is, is that there, there's the chicken and egg question. Are the Chinese now choosing war? Because Chinese sources that we had before said that China was thinking more long term. They were going to pass us up militarily in 2027, and then they were going to attack us in 2035. That was like the long range plan. And you hear about this from different sources. Um, but now we hear they're going to go early. Because of Trump damaged their economy by pulling back on trade, they things haven't worked out for them in their economy. And then the weather's changing. Look, they had two consecutive years of flooding in the summer where whole provinces couldn't grow any rice. Mm. They had they produced less food. <clears throat> excuse me. They produced less food than would take to feed. They couldn't even feed half their population with, with what they grew domestically last two years. So they're, they're eating up their stockpile. They've got a huge stockpile. They've got like 67, 60 something percent of the world's stockpile of grains right. in China. 
They really are preparing for war. They've stockpiled gold. They've stockpiled strategic metals. They've stockpiled fuel. They've stockpiled all kinds of things. They got a bigger petroleum reserve than we do. Um, <clears throat> you know, and they're, but they're, when, when you have 1.4 billion people, you go through things really fast. <laughs> yeah, I can bet that. I mean, they're very vulnerable and they know this. And they're, if their economy starts to falter, they could end up in a civil war. They could end up losing control of that 1.4 billion people with with riots in those mega cities. Sorry, the people's armed police are pretty efficient, but they yeah. may not be efficient enough, right? No. Especially yeah, if some of the units and some of the army units turn against the government. Right. And and this is another aspect because they they're also debt trapping a lot of other countries to, for their ports and 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 things like that. So they're they're not getting paid now because these other countries will be like, hey, we can't afford to pay you. Well, that's my property. So that's also a kind of a sign that eventually they're taking that position rather than the money, right? Yes, for me, they that- want power. You know, uh, Chairman Mao didn't say that um, political power comes out of money. Right. He said he said political power comes out of the barrel of a gun. You can have all the money in the end. We'll <laughs> take all the guns, stick them up. Now we have all the money and all the guns. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think we need to make sure that the uh, Biden administration hears that last statement. Um, but either way, and I think this is another aspect to them preparing. They realize that they're not going to. Right. They want that land for that uh, strategically, you know, naval ports and being able to resupply and being able to stop other ships basically from supplying us and providing right. food to us um, because what ultimately ends you isn't the fact that you have all these guns is when you don't have food and water <laughs> it, it's that's eventually when we kind of we lose well these floods in china are connected to long cycles of what's uh, the grand solar minimum it's connected mm-hmm. with and of course i got interested in this uh, a couple of years back talking to people who are experts in this you know that in april they recorded the lowest temperature ever recorded on earth in antarctica in april right i remember i remember 105 degrees fahrenheit i i misremembered it 200 no it's 105 degrees uh below zero fahrenheit so and it was consecutive days that they had this it wasn't just a fluke of one day that the the globe is starting the cooling is effect is starting and cooling means lower crop yields we go we're, we're peaking out close to 8 billion people on the planet and now the climate is changing it's not global warming this has been a hoax this has been a complete deception the communists were behind this the whole time this is a, this is not the truth we were we had global warming that was caused by the solar cycle not by by co2 this was a natural thing and now we're moving into the 25th solar cycle the electromagnetic activity in the sun is weakening, and this is what causes the cooling because more muons get in, strike the oceans, create more clouds. Cloudy day is cooler than a sunny day, mm-hmm. and you get more rain like the flooding in China, and you can get droughts in some areas, but overall more global participation, wetter springs, and you've got you – now the wheat crop, they said it was a, we had such a wet spring that it's, it's, it's hurt the, the, uh, the wheat crop in some countries, I think in the U S and Canada, but <clears throat> the winter wheat crop. So <clears throat> we have a real problem here um, that we're not, we're not because we're so disoriented. It's going to be cooling. We think it's warming. Mm-hmm. We think China's our trading partner. We think Vladimir <laughs> Putin's a nationalist and a Christian, you know, all these messages and none of these things are true. And we're totally turned around. Right. And I think it made it easier too, and and I'll just you know, a couple more minutes. I think it made it easier when the pandemic hit, and it forced a lot of us to uh, to stay home and be able to be basically hammered with with you know information that was untrue, misinformation. Uh, I mean, it it turned into everything from you know Putin's after Nazis, and then he's after the bio labs, and he's after this, and he's after that, and it's and he's like fighting the Jewish oligarchs too. Don't forget Nazis and Jewish <laughs> oligarchs. He's fighting the Jewish oligarchs, and it was like, what what do we believe? And it's that search for control and hope again that we just they they will give it to you. It won't be true, but they'll give you something. And I don't. Th- that's something that it's going to be very difficult to fight against. It, it, I mean, your opinion it. it can you even stop it and fight against it? Yeah, people have to have clarity. They have to actually think. They have to read and they have to be informed and they have to be united. We're America. You know, 
put away all that ideological nonsense. We're America. We're Americans. We either live or or die together. And if you you think because you don't agree with other Americans that you want to have a civil war. I know there's people, they want to have a civil war on the left and the right. They want to fight each other. They want to, they're so mad at each other. They want to kill each other. Well, we're all going to die if you do that. I'm sorry, because these people over here, they're serious. They mean business and they want to kill us all. Right. It's and like Hitler wanting to kill the Jews. Now we're the Jews and the Chinese want to kill us all. Right. I'm sorry. It's that simple. Not the Chinese people, the Chinese communist party, right. that murderous group of psychopaths who, by the way, are murdering Chinese in large numbers right now as I speak, because they have an absolute tyranny over that poor country. Absolutely. And it's not poor because they're they're poor in resources. It's poor because they're being trampled down by their own government. Correct. And, and over with control and everything else. So, you know what, I, th I think I'm going to end it on that. Um, I had a great time speaking with you and I'm hoping we can do this again um, when you have, you know, when you have some more time. Um, anything you want to kind of say to, to finish up? Well, my my website is grnyquist.blog and you can read my articles there. And, you know, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes like anybody else, but I, I think I've been on the right track tracking this for a long time. I've been writing about this for 30 years now. Um, more than 30 years and I've been thinking about it for 35 years and trying to learn and um, you know it's a constant learning process and there's we're really in grave danger and we we need to be united as a country we need to be educated we need to be understanding and we need to be really reasonable before we go for any of these conspiracy narratives that turn us against each other and yeah, we do have traitors. We need treason trials in the country. We need a standard of patriotism in a time of approaching war. And if this if this is uh, information is accurate and everything so far shows that the information out of China is proving to be accurate, um, and we will know in the coming weeks, we will be at war before the leaves turn, probably, or before the snow falls. Uh, so we we need to get straight as a country and we need to come together and we need to 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 you know the fifth column people working for russia and china in this country need to be chastised put on trial put on notice you you do this to our country you are an enemy of the country if you're going to divide us because it's a divide and conquer game here Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I'm definitely going to put a link uh, to your website and everything else at the end, and it'll be pinned in the comment section. Um, and I, I want to thank you again for coming on, Jeff. And like I said, I can't wait to be able to do this again. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, and I want to thank again, Jared Nyquist for coming on. And like I said, we'll you go down to his com go down to my comment section. I'll pin his uh, website on there. You can check him out. Like I said, he's got four books that he wrote. Um, and I'm hoping to do be able to have a conversation with him uh, uh, again. So as always, stay safe. Sage out. I'm a savage, I'm a savage, drop the classic, drop the classic, thinking back, drop the classic, drop the classic.